Not had enough of me yet? Well, good news. You can now listen to William Hill's Upfront with Simon Jordan podcast right here. The series, hosted by me, gives you a front row seat to big name interviews discussing their career successes and failures. Sit back and enjoy. What do you make of those guys walking out on Match of the Day, by the way? Nah, if it had been me, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have walked out. I think that is another example of modern management. Uh, the, the tail wags the dog in football today. And there's only one one club in the country right now where that doesn't happen, that's Man City, where the manager is all powerful. But the manager is is the, the boss in name only. And you came from this stellar career that a lot of these guys have had whiffs of, but yours was stellar. But then you land as a player manager at Rangers and you're going to Liverpool and you produce the second worst record of a Liverpool manager in 30 years. This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views, strong opinions, and get them to stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. But more importantly, so might you. On this episode of Upfront, we have one of the most formidable, talented midfielders the British Isles ever produced. A very significant manager, so much so, I even nearly employed him. <laughs> An appointment to listen pundit and the president of his own fan club, Graham Souness. Good afternoon. How are you? And thank you for that welcome. Last time I saw you was sadly hanging around an airport in Glasgow looking for anybody that would take a picture with you. But it was sad to watch yeah. this need for yeah. people to see you. Can I just um, expand on that? Um, Tell me. Only if it's interesting. I try to be generous. and <laughs> I've never seen any of I that. I try to be very generous. In this. If you recall, I kept saying to the people who came and asked for my photograph, would you like a photograph with these two? Some Well, we all, see th- we all see things differently, don't we? And we, you, we have the soonest view and we have the real view. But anyway, great. Moving on from that, one of the things I wanted to start talking to you about is a subject matter that I think is very prevalent in association with you. I watched you as a kid because obviously I'm a lot younger than you. And one of the things that I always associate with you, and I think you embodied at the time, and I'm curious to see if you still do now, is leadership and captaincy and all that it sort of should have represented. I wanted to see, wanted to get from you what you think leadership is. When you become the captain of a, of a football team, I think it's about setting an example at, at every turn. And that's not to say I was perfect. Right. Um, On the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, it's not something that I acknowledged at the time. It's something I thought, oh, that, that's pretty impressive. But I look at the people that chose me to be the captain, Jockstein, Bob Paisley. Yeah. I'm proud of it. You know, these are real football men who had other big players to choose from that chose me. And I, I can remember Joe Fagan saying to me when I was made captain at Liverpool, don't do anything different. We've chose you as captain because of the way you play football. Just be yourself. And I and I am always worked on the principle, this is in the football sense, that if, if I was having a good time, first of all, I had to get my job right. But if I was having a good time, I was then able to help others. And that's, that's how it unfolded for me. Is as leadership about constantly operating at a high level and expecting and demanding it of those around you? Or is it setting an example by the manner of which you speak or the manner in which you play? Or is it a combination of all the above? I'm a great believer, and I think you've heard me say this many, many times, <clears throat> that to have a successful football club, you have to have good senior pros. Yeah. And I look at myself when I walk through the door at Liverpool, 
and how I, how I changed in the seven years I was there and what I was like when I left. I wasn't the best pro when I walked through the door, but I left. I learned from from some very serious football players. And then seven years later, when I became a senior pro or when I left the club, I like to think I'd passed that information on. When you look at the leadership that you would have developed through the experiences you had for the managers that you played mm. with, played for, sorry, and the players that you played with, and you now look at the the prism of football or, or through the prism of football and what's supposedly leadership now, what do you think's changed? What's your overview? I know what my view is. I think they're lightweights. I don't think they know, I, what, I don't think they know what leadership really is. I think if you asked every single manager in the Premier League, they would say that privately. The players are are pampered pooches that they don't, they don't really care. That that I think is the single biggest reason. But hasn't it always been us? I mean, I remember. No, you, it wasn't. But hasn't it? it wasn't. Hang on, we're talking about players, not in in essence. Unless a player gets what he wants in this day and age, then there tends to be a problem. And you judge, I believe, and I think you are the same. But maybe you, you tell me something different. I believe you judge people in adversity, not when things are going well. Is 100%. that a fair comment? Yeah, yeah, you only find out what you've got in the dressing so, room when you've lost a few games back to back. Tell me a time when your leadership was questioned as a player. I was out with a bad back. It was the worst injury I had as a player, really. I had a, I'd attempted to play golf. I was cack-handed. I twisted my back. I ended up being out for 10 consecutive games. Bob Paisley was out for the exact same 10 games with pleurisy. So I went to I went to Joe Fagan and Ronnie Moran in the boot room. Um, and the build-up to the game on the weekend, which I think was against Wolves. And I'd, I'd, I'd declared myself fit on the Thursday. And I said, I don't expect to come straight back in. I said, but and they told you I, that you I'm, were decla- I'm yeah, declaring yeah. fit. No, they said, well, look, we're Wolves at home. I think it was Wolves, all due respect to them. I think we'll be okay at the weekend. So skip that, but you'll definitely play on the Tuesday night at, at, at Spurs, hard away game. So I said, yeah, it's fine by me. But I had given them, I had given them the option to say to me, well, we're winning every game. Well, you, so we can't bring you straight you, back. You didn't give them the option to say it to no. you. They're management, right? You, yeah, you're the player. I, I was right. saying to them, I don't expect to come straight right. back in. So the option is theirs to okay. confirm that or not. So they said, no, play on Tuesday night. Take the weekend off another few days, play Tuesday. So I am now under the illusion when I leave the boot room, I'm playing on a Tuesday night. So on the Tuesday, on the Monday, we go down there. I can remember, I think it was Terry Mack said to me, are you going to play? Tomorrow night. I said, yeah, oh, that's great. That means I'm not playing. And he's obviously thinking the team's been going well. Terry Mack is a, was a, is a yeah. great friend of mine. Yeah. On the Tuesday morning, we trained. And I used to room with Kenny Dalglish. And then we had trained. And then we'd gone back to our room. We'd showered. And there was a knock on the door. And I had a sixth sense. I th- Maybe a, not just on the knock on the door, but maybe how they'd been speaking and acting in the training on the Tuesday morning. And they're where they were speaking to me. I don't know, but I can remember knock, when the knock came to the door, I thought, I bet that's them going to tell me I'm not going to play. And that's exactly what it was. So I told them what I thought, sat down, wrote out a transfer request and went down to the bar and Bob Paisley walked in. He's going in for lunch where the players were and the players had all seen me sitting having a gin and tonic at, at the bar and um, he saw me and he came over and said, what's the, what's the story? I said, well, told him. They said, we'll see about that. Now, I think maybe Bob had been feeling his, he'd had his nose put out of the joint because they'd won the games without him as well. Anyway, he said, we'll see about that. Went and came back and said, you're playing. I would think that going to the extreme of saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw my... I'm, I'm not just going to have a little few words about it and tell people what I think. I'm going to throw an exit missile in there, mm-hmm. give everybody an F-off pill, and I'm going to put a transfer request in there. 
Mm-hmm. Do you not think that's going from one extreme to the other? And do you not think that's a case of, well, sometimes you have to adapt to circumstances. Sometimes to be a leader, you have to accept that things aren't perfect and adjust and go, I tell you what, I'll let it go this time, I but I'm not going to let it go again. I, when I look back on that incident, I don't think I did anything wrong. Well, if you were playing today, I, you'd get away with it full stop. No. If I was playing today... And you'd probably get a pay rise for it. I would, I would do it again. I, I, that's me. I had given them the opportunity. I had told all my my teammates, yes, I'm playing. And then he's embarrassed me. For no reason. He didn't give me any reason. He just said, we'll, just, we'll decide not to play you. I know that you have a very high opinion of yourself and I think it's right to have so because if, yep. you don't, if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in yep. you? But there is a background of every now and again, in order to do what you want, you've got to do as you're told every now and again. And, if, and it feels like in this I instance, you I'd didn't get precisely right what you were entitled to. Do you look Thursday. back on it now? You, you're now saying, irrespective of the benefit of time and the, and the journeys that you, you wouldn't do any differently. No, because I, then I become a manager. Then I think, as we were talking, I'm thinking, if I, if I was to do that to one of my big players, you're playing knowing he is definitely going to tell because dressing room is a you know, small place. Yeah. They all talk to each other. So then everyone Too in the dressing room sometimes. knows that I have told this big player he's going to play. And I'm going to turn around to him and say, three days later, sorry, I've changed my mind. I know that is a major problem for me as a manager. I don't agree with you on that, but that's your your life, your journey. You, you'll handle it how you want. And my opinion, whether it's good or bad, is probably indifferent in this instance. When you look at leaders now in football, and again, we talk about the leadership model that you came from. Let's pick out some people that are perceived leaders or supposedly supposed to be leaders. Mm-hmm. And let's pick out one of your perhaps favourite hobby horses, Manchester United, and say Bruno Fernandes as a leader. No, he is obviously not a leader. It, it, it's as plain as the nose on the end of your face. He is not a leader. His attitude when they went 3-0 down, down at Liverpool was appalling. I agree with you. Uh, that that's not leadership in any shape or form, the way that he reacted to the adversity, the way he appeared, he denies it and says that I wasn't looking to come off. But the whole kit and caboodle from pushing linesmen through to... Simon, you would not want to be in the trenches with him. Simple as. What can you imagine that Ten Hag is thinking, as a former manager, by doubling down with the whole world? Everyone looked at that, that Bruno Fernandes situation. And everyone came to the same conclusion. Everyone came to the same conclusion, except the fellow that actually makes the decision. I think that is another example of modern management uh, the, the tail wags the dog in football today and there's only one one club in the country right now where that doesn't happen that's man city where the manager is all powerful but the manager is is the, the boss in name only he's he's thinking fernandez is a good player fernandez you'll see be a star when they're on top and they're on the front foot and he's creative and he is a real talent and he is a real talent mm-hmm. but he showed a side to him that day at anfield which is very unattractive but this, the manager man you have right now is willing to overlook that because he knows going forward that he will win him games, he will score him goals. But in, the, in his head, the manager's head, he will know the first time I come up against a really difficult situation again, is he going to go missing? And I think the manager knows the answer to that. When you look at leaders, again, go back to the leadership thing, and you think about the leaders that you may have played alongside and you look at the situation today, can you pick, I, I find it difficult. I look around and think to myself, Obviously, having owned a football club and it was in the Premier League for a short period of time, but notwithstanding that, leaders at every level are leaders, right? Wherever they're playing in the Championship or playing in the Premier League, you want your guy on the pitch to be something slightly more significant. When you look around, who do you naturally gravitate to and think, well, I'll tell you what, if I was managing now, I'd have him. I'd have him as a leader. I'd have him as my captain. Mm-hmm. I'd have him in situ. But if you were picking leaders, who would you pick? You have to search for them. 
Well, this is the this is the problem. I mean, right now, the first name that comes to mind coming to the end of his career, James Milner. You know, a proper lad. I worked with him. Um, Jordan Henderson. Uh, um, not, uh, we've gone straight for Liverpool player, have you? Yeah, well, no, that was, trust me, that was the first thing, because as you were asking the question, I was thinking Man United. And then I thought Man City. They obviously have some some leaders, Man City. But it's not... We'd have picked company, wouldn't we? You'd yeah. Have, you'd have picked company, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Bernardo Silva would be a leader in, his, in a very different type of... Um, De Bruyne, possibly, although he said something during the World Cup which he shouldn't have said about his teammates yep. who felt they were past their best. I mean, the City over recent history must have some proper leaders. But, I mean, this is a sort of layman-esque expression, Graham, but I would have thought that you're, you would have alighted upon the sort of bite, bollock and bark merchants. No. But in that sentiment... Well, I wasn't you... that. What? I wasn't that. What? You, if you had any of my contemporaries, any of my teammates in here, I was not that. I didn't growl at them. Just the opposition? Yeah, I saw them as enemy, but my, my own teammates, to a man, they would say no. What, not didn't show at them. Well, didn't grow up. That's them. an that's an interesting one, Graham, because as a manager, I would pick you as having that attribute, as someone that would have very strong About, words to say to players. And I mean, I'll give you an example. Let's say I wrote about him once that I would strangle him with his own tongue, Craig Bellamy. <laughs> but you had a proper situation with him, didn't you? I'm manager of Newcastle. We played um, we're at Charlton in the Premier League. I think we're winning 2-0. They make it 2-1. Super Sunday game, pouring down the rain. I make a substitution. Around about 80-something minute. Um, and the dressings were down to the left. The dugouts are up further up the pitch. So I'm concentrating on the game. Craig Bellamy's coming off. And he, and he, and he said something the camera's got picked up. Very easy to, to um, lip yeah. read. So... We end up getting the result. I think one of my my um, staff has said, by the way, when you took him off, he called you. I said, that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. But we've got the result. Not a problem. So on the Monday, they're off on the Tuesday. They're in. I said, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about, you know, just a quick chat about the weekend. So I'm sitting on a stage in the meeting room at Newcastle United's training ground and Craig is sitting in front of me. I mean, he's not three rows back. He's straight in front of me. And I was talking and I can see him shaking his head and I'm trying not to look at him, not look at him. And then in the end, I just had to say, Craig, what is it I'm saying that you're not agreeing with? And before I got a chance to speak, I'd taken a step towards him and then I told him three different things that I wasn't happy with. The last being, and it was, by the way, you told me to Whatever. do yeah. one on yeah. Sunday. And by that time, I've got my hands on him. Now, that's not, it's not something that... Um, I've ever done before, but I think Craig would, would if he was sitting, he would admit, and he has admitted, um, both privately and publicly, he was a difficult boy to deal with. Mm. But he was a fabulous little player. Yeah, he, he was. He was. He was a fabulous player, but he was a pain to ask to deal with. Yeah, he surprised me once because I was out in London ten or fifteen years ago, and I'd written an article in the Observer, and I think it was about the Newcastle situation and the players. And you can speak to him far more than I can because you were there. And I think Bellamy was causing mayhem. And I'd written a, an article saying, you know, if this little played for me, I think I'd strangle him with his own tongue, which is mm -hmm. the anecdote I just said to you earlier on. And I, he walked up to me in um, in a hotel bar about two or three years after I'd written the article, and I thought, this little sod's going to have something to say for himself. And he really surprised me because he turned around and said, I read that article. It made me think, 
And I'd love to have played for a chairman like you that had the balls to say things that others people wouldn't say. So it surprised me. Do you think perhaps Seth Bellamy is mellowed over the years? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He wrote a book and I think he was he was full of apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was a talented boy. And I, I can remember it was the first time anyone ever said it to me. I need you to take me to the next level. And he, want, he wanted to improve all the time. And I'm not sure. You know, that, that has to Do you to think football's from... a worse? I, I, I've never had a problem as an owner. Never had a problem. Uh, your mate Trevor didn't deal with a situation once upon a time where he brought a confrontation on the dressing room with a particular player, Clinton Morrison, called it on and didn't deal with it, and the dressing room was lost from there on in. I've never had a problem with managers. There's a language of football that's slightly different to the rest of the world, and people don't like to accept it, but I think it's still there and it should still be accepted. There's a physical sport, and every now and again things get a little bit emotive. It's a visceral reaction. Do you think sport or football, football specifically football, is worse off or better off for the ability to managers to be in a dressing room and every now and again pin a player. Let me tell you why it's worse. There has to be a there has to be a leader stroke yeah. boss in every business. If you imagine a scenario where you as a manager walk into a dressing room with 20 guys, and one of your players is just not at it for whatever reason, and you're digging him out and you're saying harsh things, never mind getting hold of him by the scruff of the net, but you're digging him yeah, out. Yeah, constraining his mind. You're you're falling out with him because he has such an opinion of himself which is exaggerated today, far more than when I played. Players who are average players are on yep. X amount of X week. Amount of money, yeah. It gives them a great deal of, of independence and belief and generally have yeah. an entourage yep. and who, who are blowing smoke up their backsides all the time, telling them how wonderful they are. Well, I use an the expression. media don't get after them either today. I use an expression, I used it in conjunction with a manager over there. They're getting paid F off money so they can tell everybody to F off. Yes. Right? It's that kind of mentality, isn't it? Exactly. But they, they're beyond criticism. And maybe touch on that. So you go in, you dig him out, you fall out with him. You've just, you haven't just fallen out with him. He, he tells his You've mates, fallen yeah. out with three or four other people in that dress, at least three or four other people. Collectively, they might be worth 150 million quid. What, that goes on for a week. One of them will speak to his agent. The agent will leak the story to the to friendly press man. He's lost a dressing room. That old chestnut comes out on a regular basis. That's the end. Then the, the manager the, is... Answerable to the chairman, the chairman thinks, wait a minute, that guy's no longer worth 50 million, he's only worth 25 now because he's not on the team because the manager's parked him up. You're vulnerable. If you were my manager, and, and 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 I wanted you to be in 2006 when we had a discussion about it, and I'll never forgive you because you didn't take it, and I got fucking Peter Taylor, and his Norman <laughs> and Wisdom impression in the dugout, literally. Um, but I would always, always, always back my manager, and it was proven to be the case with Arsenal recently. With and I thought that was a, that was a great battle that was won there by and he must have had the backing to do it and I would have always that does that I would have always gone well if it's a regular habit and there's a common denominator and every bloody player's falling out with a manager then I'll have something to say about it but if there's a situation where managers are having to do certain things to get people to understand their position in the food chain because you would always be my champion. Mm -hmm. Right, my manager's my champion. I wouldn't want to have a dog and bark. I don't want to do your job. I want to pay you a lot of money and get you on and let you to do your job. But you're sort of suggesting that that's done now. It will always the manager will always be the first casualty, irrespective of what the players have done. You're you're sort of describing a landscape where owners are flaky and yep. not able yep. to back their managers in the bigger picture things. So what's the point of having a football manager if you're not going to back them? Well, you can go back logic. to Tommy Doherty who managed in the 60s, maybe the 50s, and that great statement where he said, when the chairman says he's right behind you, I'd rather have him in front of me. Yeah, yeah we can all deal out those but, old bullshits. We yeah, can listen to Brian Clough turn around or Len Shackleton say, what does the football club owners know? A blank page. Like That's mm. all moved on a little bit. I know you might think it hasn't, but it has. It has. 
You know, everybody has a space Has it place. changed since you were chairman then? Um, well, when I walked through the door, the, 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 apparently the last person you wanted to hear from was a football club owner. Right? That was it. And the media didn't want it. The players, or the fact that nobody wanted to hear from them. Now it's changed because if you don't hear from the owner, there's something fundamentally wrong. If you don't know who the owner is, then there's something wrong with that football club. It's not being backed properly. It's not being funded properly. It doesn't have direction. It doesn't have somebody motivated or interested in it. And when I walked through the door, and okay, I was 31 years of age, and I, you know, I wasn't interested in at, at acknowledging protocol. And, and ironically, you were the first guy I met because um, we played your Blackburn Rovers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and you were tipped to go up that season, and you beat us 2-0 at home in the first game that I owned the team for, and you were the first person to say to me, welcome to the madhouse. I remember it. From the point of view of it, has it changed? Yeah, absolutely has changed. Because this nonsense and this crap, and I, and, I, and I was always a massive admirer of the Brian Cluffs of the world. I think they're one of the most mercurial, inspirational managers of his time. And I think he probably could still manage now. But yeah, I do think that, that, that would, would I want to pick teams? Why? I've got to pay you a lot of money to do a job. Why would I want to do it for you? I'd want you to be accountable for it, and I'd want you to have conversations with me about it, and I'd want to be kept in the loop because... If I own a football team, why wouldn't I be interested in what the bleeding football team's doing? So yeah, it has changed. You don't think so? My um, best jobs were where I had a, a tight relationship with chairman, chief executive. Um, where? With John Williams? Brilliant. Yeah, with Blackburn. He was brilliant. Yeah. Um, David Murray, David Holmes, my first job. And I think when you have that, you know, John Williams and I would fall out twice a week. You come down. It's not about fallout, so it's about you do what we do afterwards. No, but isn't he it? would, yeah, but he'd always, you know, be lighting a fire under you, which I didn't mind. I mean, I wouldn't agree with him at the time. And then on the way home from the training ground, going down the M6, I would phone him up, or he would phone me up, and by then that conversation on the phone, we're mates again. But that 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 was a really healthy situation as far as I was concerned. We told each other how we felt. We didn't agree at the time. We both go away and think about it and maybe temper our, our, our thoughts on the situation. Could you manage now? Not would you want to? Sometimes I think I could, and sometimes I think, no, couldn't. Okay, we'll expand I, on that. I had, a, I, had a, I had a problem that in several jobs where I felt I played football in a certain way. I was committed. I had a great desire to, to, to win football matches. Sometimes got me in trouble. And I expected that from my players. You know, this isn't this is professional sport. This is the real deal, and I believe you know you. Sometimes, if you want to win football matches, we are talking about football. You know, you have to go right up to the wire in terms of pushing the rules and and being maybe slightly more aggressive than most people would enjoy. And I and, and that's how I played. I, that's how I played, and it, it definitely won. I was part of a, of a team of great players, but I, I think I played a small part in, in that. When we're running things, and, and part of my job was to be up there. But does the that front. mean? Does that mean that you know you're telling me dynamics of what would be involved? But does it mean you could manage? Uh, and, and, this, and another because you mentioned you mentioned Manchester City as this sort of shiny beacon of wonderful things. Let's imagine in some far flung universe that someone was some foolish fool, enough to give yeah. you Man City <laughs> job. <laughs> I think. Could you turn that silk purse into a salesy well, or the other way around? It's, yeah, it's hardly. I mean, Man City right now have the best group of players that I have ever known in my 50-odd years in the English game. They have the best group. You look Talent at Talent-wise? Yeah. Character-wise? Well, 
you know, because we've got back, we've got your mate in there. I come back to Jack Grealish. Yeah, I got come back to. There's a couple of there's a couple of um, players that are obviously lead from the front. You only you only ever need one, and you, know, you only need one to lead from the front. And the rest are piling behind. But I was going to say that this is the strongest group of players I've ever known in my time in English game. And if you think about other than the goalkeeper, By strongest. What do you mean? Squad, sheer squad, squad, sheer, sheer S- squad, talented, yeah, sheer talented. Yeah, right. If you think of the, when they make a substitution, other than the goalkeeper, De Bruyne, Silva possibly comes into that, and Haaland this year, when they're making a substitution, it's a like for like in terms of quality. There's only four players you would think, well, Haaland goes off, who comes on? That's going to be weaker. De Bruyne goes off, who comes on? That's going to be a bit weaker. They've got Gundogan, they've got, they got Silva, they've got some fabulous midfield players, but I think this, I think De Bruyne's just been that. The goalkeeper, certainly, I don't think the, the number two, he's a great goalkeeper they've got. Um, so I think like for like, when they make a substitution, when they make a substitution, it's like for like in terms of quality. So do you think you could manage this side? I do think you so. think, I'd, given I'd, the circumstances, because you've laid yes. out a situation where you think that the tail wags the dog, the players get away with murder, you're the, on the victim's end of everything that goes wrong, and you can't put them in a position where you can make them really accountable think, too too robustly. I think it's a slight contradiction. When you've got the best players, they're the ones you, you don't have to spend time on. You, don't, you just guide them. You don't have to have any harsh words with them. Very, very rarely you're guiding them because part of the reason you're a top player is because you realise when you should be training harder, you realise that on a match day I should be doing this and not that. No one needs to tell you that. So in that respect, a manager has an easier ride and I think Pep, I think, I think my fair Pep see it. You know, I've got the best players, so I should win it. What do you make of this desire and ideal that footballers must have societal views and lever these views and be used to express their point of view? The footballers. I, I, I think so, but I'm interested in what it's, you think about it. It's, it's um, a minefield for them because at the end of the day, they'll be so concentrated on um, their own jobs, which is to play football, stay fit, train properly, live the good life. Um, and then I think them to be asked... What did you make of the England team? Going to Qatar and all the noise that have all these, all these countries going there, protesting against the World Cup and all the human rights issues that we know to be there. And then being told, if you want to wear these um, armbands, you're going to get a yellow card if you do it. I thought to myself, well, if you want to stand up for something, have some skin What's in the game. a yellow card, yeah. You know, get on with it. Are you totally against the idea? Because well, I, I don't think footballers are role models. I don't think they should have societal responsibilities no. upon them. I, you no. know, I, I get it. I get it. Marcus Rashford's great, and he perhaps helped the government to have a U-turn on some of the thinking that they had around free school meals and stuff like that. But I get a bit tired of the media holding people to standards so, and judging them by it. I would have been what would I have been 22, 20, the World Cup in seventy Argentina. Argentina. On the march of Ali's army. Yeah, not for long Ar- though, were you? No. no, Argentina was ruled by a military. Junta? Yeah, yeah. And we were getting letters. Corrupt World Cup, yeah. We were getting letters saying, you mustn't go, you mustn't go. Now, for me, for me, knowing what I know now, read a lot more, more, I like to think more worldly, I wouldn't go to that if it was now and I was a player, knowing what I know now. I mean, you know, you talk about... So, so hang on, you've just said that you don't think you should stand very, for anything. Yeah, that, and now you're saying that, that you should stand for something. Your country calls I'm, you, you're a proud Scotsman, I'm right? talking about a football be, player yeah. at 23, 24... Is fully concentrated on his job, which is to play football. Yeah, I don't expect them to be worldly and well-read about every situation in the Middle East or South America or wherever else. So I think for them as a football, so you're player, saying if they are well-read, 
and well rehearsed that they have the right to have well, these opinions and use the pitch well, that's not an and the that's platform not an and the court as a wearing leverage. An armband, wearing an armband and refusing to go and play in a World Cup because there is hundreds if not thousands of young people disappearing from their homes mm. week, month on month for a number of years. That's a very different story. To, to you stand yeah, I suppose I see a point. What you're saying is actually I'd have the balls to back it up. If I if I knew what I knew, if I knew then what I knew now, mm. actually I would sacrifice something and not play for yeah. my country because I believe in the fact that this was an appalling World Cup to be awarded to an appalling country. And rather than virtue signal my way into actually doing nothing, well, I'd, have ball, I'd have the balls car, to stand down. Well, yeah. Leadership, mm -hmm. I suppose. Do you think leaders are born or do you think they're manufactured? That's a difficult one. I can only speak for myself. I came from, I, I, as you've alluded to, I'm an extremely confident person. I was the youngest of three sons. Yep. Came from a great family, had a great childhood. You're wonderful, aren't you? In well, your in eyes, my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I know I'm you are. No, but I'm trying to, I'm I didn't know until you told I'm me, but I do know now. I'm trying to explain to whoever will listen to this, my confidence came from where? I think it was because of the my upbringing, because of the parents I had and because of the brothers yeah. I had and the environment I grew up in. And did that make me a leader? It certainly made me confident. And I think if you're confident, there's no leader, there's no leadership. But it's natural leaders, isn't there? Yeah, there's no leadership without being confident. Yeah, I, I built businesses and, and I stood out in front and I do the things I do because I know I'm a natural leader. I might not always be right, but I bring people, I think leaders bring them with you. You might you need know, an ability to have confrontation, did, not did, steer away from did it. Did he just say you're not always right? Well, no, I'm not always right, but more often than not I am. <laughs> That's See, nice. I don't think you can manufacture leads. I think you can make people better. I think you can give people some backbone. I think you can give people a little bit of substance. And I think you can give people a little bit of belief. But I think the real natural leaders are just there and they do it and they have a mode of, a mode of operating. They have alchemy. And, and that's what I think of you. I remember, again, another example of you. I never forgot it. When, when I was watching you, it was, you were awfully behaved. You played... Palace at Sellers Park. You beat us 3-2. You're 3-0 at halftime in the first season. Again, I think you got Blackburn promoted that season. And I have never seen a manager before or since abuse the fourth official as much as you did. From every single word in the lexicon of foul language you used and the against the fourth official. And the director's walked close there, so you'd have heard Yeah, I, I did. I heard it. And it just... and it. But to me, that was the job that you were doing at the time. That was what was required. I don't like it. I don't think that officials should be put in those sort of positions by managers. And I think if the officials haven't got the balls to sanction you for I doing it, that's their gift. Simon, that still happens today. Yeah, yeah. I Every agree. Saturday, Sunday afternoon, that still happens today. Right. I mean, managers are two people. You know, when you're winning, you're a nice guy and you're an open book. When you're losing, you're a nasty, horrible, horrible, non-trusting individual. What was most difficult for you moving into your managerial career? What was most difficult to you, managing up or managing down? I didn't find... Talking to chairman and chief execs, difficult. What about hands-on owners to absentee owners? Owners that want to be very involved and ones that are slightly removed. All right, I'm not going to name how did you How I've, did you find I've, that sort of Because you must have had him. I mean, you, you had Freddie Shepard at Newcastle. John Williams, you, you liked at Blackburn, but it was not John's money. It was Jack's money. Hmm. Let's say Freddie, for example, because Newcastle was my, a, is a unique football that club. That was my most difficult job. Why? Partly because of that relationship. And I know Freddie Shepard and I knew Douglas Hall, I knew Sir John Hall, I knew him relatively well and I know what kind of character Freddie could be at times and I knew what mm -hmm. Kenneth, his son, could be involved in as well. Um, but are we talking about I'll say, it's very your hard. inability to manage up because this guy wants to be involved well, in I think that was my... Are we talking about someone that stepped across the line? So are we saying that you prefer 
absent owners that leave you to leave you to your own no, devices. Because I think you guys need no, a lot of support. No. I think this idea that you managers are all Churchillian characters. It's, it's that can, something black and white. It's not like all or nothing, that relationship. Seven jobs prior to Newcastle, I had no issues managing up. None. Absolutely none. Newcastle, that was an issue. So... As a matter of course, it's not it's not a binary choice. You're not you. You're okay. Well, let me rephrase it. What's a good owner look like? Um, both in both in your time and now. Well, I think whether you're talking about football or any other business, a, a good owner, a good boss is someone that supports you through thick and thin. Your definition of thin might be different to mine. Is it give you everything you want when you want to? No, I accept that is not the case. I accept that there's no one. No one gets that unless you're. Managing at Man City or PSG, maybe. Two other uh, topics of interest that I think are, are engaging, which is the area that you find yourself in now. And I, I've always said, and I said at the opening outset of this episode, that there are pundits that I can listen to and pundits that I can't. Um, and I've always found you to be a pundit I could listen to because it, you know, there's resonance in what you're saying and it doesn't seem to be steeped in mysticism or... Uh, the current vogue of what's being said. When you look across the punditry landscape, who do you look at and go, I tell you what, I'll listen to him. And of course, when you look across the punditry landscape and you think, I can't be bothered to listen to him. I first, I'd first have to say, I think the world of television has changed greatly everything, in my yeah. time. Yeah. Um, it's changed everything. It's made managers' job more difficult. Yeah, I, th I think punditry is like, like uh, every other thing on television sometimes you want to watch it sometimes yeah that's great who, who do you like and who do you not like I think football's like every other business where sometimes you want to watch who do I like don't, don't be a fanny answer the question who do I like that's a good that's a good question I I, um, I like Roy I like listening to Roy two ears two, two ears two eyes and one mouth I like I, I told like, you that I like um, if you listen a bit more you'll learn something yeah that was good your turn will come have I said that to you <laughs> I said it to you <laughs> Oh, did I nick it from you? You nicked it from me and said it to Keane and blamed it yeah. on me. And by the way, you were right to say it as well. So you like Keane? Yeah, I like Roy. Who else? I think, you know, the Chuckle Brothers can be entertaining. Really? No, I think Gary Neville and, and Cara can be entertaining. Do you? Yeah. It makes me chuckle anyway. Do you, I mean, I spend a lot of time calling out Neville or calling the mayor of Manchester, the de facto mayor of Manchester and a barrack room lawyer. Do you think I'm wrong for doing that? I, I think he, um, he fights... Um, Every cause going. Um, I've got to choose my word. When is this going on? <laughs> Don't be so cowardly. Uh, no. It's called up front. I, Get on I, with I, it. I think he... Um, Come to he, the dark side, Graham, where we don't care. Yeah, I think he does um, overstep the mark with some of yeah. these crusades that he goes on. Yeah. Because no one's really interested in listening to him with um, in certain subjects. Do you think Keane disappears into a pantomime villain sometimes? Do you think he plays? Roy, a, do you think he plays a role? I saw you with him in in Qatar, and I know that you guys get on pretty well. Mm. Um, and you had a little set to, didn't you, where you go arguing about a particular decision? That was a, a, penalty, it was a, a direction that the referees had given yeah. prior to the World Cup, and it was a Saudi Arabia Argentina game. I think it was a penalty given for Argentina, where the guy clearly pulled the shirt. And under the new director, that was going to be a penalty. Roy didn't. Roy didn't um, think it was a penalty, but I I made the point that this is the the new director the referees have issued for this World Cup. So I think in that one I was right. What do you make of those guys walking out on match of the day? By the way, nah. If it had been me, I wouldn't have. 
I wouldn't have walked out. Mm. Well, I think um, I think they should get fired personally. But you know, I think I think we, without going into any great detail, it wasn't Gary's first time upsetting people. Um, the, the are you in the camp? He shouldn't have said it. Yeah, because I think when you take the BBC shilling, you've got to be very careful what you say mm. about, uh, politically. Yeah. Also, freedom of speech doesn't come with freedom of consequences, does no, it? No, freedom of speech is something that doesn't apply if you're an employee of the BBC. I think you have to be very careful. Do you think commentary, because a lot of allegations get made, and I've heard you be uh, less than this, do you think all commentary and punditry should be impartial? In my opinion, and you're asking questions and it's yeah. me... As I understand it, I give the opinion. In my humble opinion. <laughs> and I scrutinise it. <laughs> in my humble opinion, I think there's a handful of clubs that you can compare with Liverpool. So in respect to me... So saying, do you think punditry should be impartial? Because people, yes. get, people get very aerated when, yeah. they see, when they see Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville clearly doubling down. Because I remember listening to Harry Carpenter when Frank Bruno was fighting Mike Tyson and nobody thought that there was a need to be impartial when Frank mm. uh, when Harry Carpenter's going, go on, Frank. But it seems to be this expectation now that pundits have got to be absolutely impartial and show no bias. And well, I think of- I've tried to be. I think when Liverpool are going through, I've been doing this for 20 years. I think when Liverpool are having sort of some you are bar- listening to yourself, have, you? have barren years, I've been critical of them. And when Man United were having a great time, I was complimentary about them. And I'll say it now, Man United. Ma- no, not in the slightest. Man United are one of the great football teams in the world. They're one of that handful that you can hold up with Liverpool. With Real Madrid, with Bayern Munich, with Barcelona. That's the level Man United and Liverpool are at. And you can't, it's hard to make that comparison with well, that, le- that leads me into a producer inserted question because it's, it's got to be about Arsenal, is it? No, it's not actually. It's going to take us behind the scenes of off air at Anfield for Liverpool versus United and what Roy Kane was like watching his team get beat seven. Because um, I know you had a spat with Neville, didn't you? Yeah, I think I think um, Roy t- was boiling inside, but but took it gracefully. Um, he knew his team hadn't turned up; they'd been miserable. And 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 Gary chose to see it um, that Man United um, weren't that bad and Liverpool weren't that good. That's not very illuminating. I'm sure there was more well, than that. All right, John. Full story. We turn up before the game, before we go on there. There's a bit of banter amongst us. Because you said they were going to win, didn't you? You said that you said. I, I was asked Liverpool the question off air. Yeah. Um, what do you think the result will be? And I said, I think Liverpool, I don't know I think why I think this, but Liverpool will have a really good day today. I think they'll win and they'll win well. So half an hour later we're on air and then Alexa said to me, well, are you going to repeat what you said on air? Sorry, Alexa, Gary. Um, Gary said to me, are you going to repeat what you said on air? Off air. I said, yeah, of course. I said, I think Liverpool will win and they'll win well today. So then Liverpool do exactly that. And then after the game, um, we're up in the studio and, and there's the four of us, Cara, Gary and Roy. And and in one of the breaks, Gary said, well, Liverpool weren't very good today. I said, you called me out before the game and I repeated on there what I was willing to say off air. Are you willing to do the same? And, and he was reluctant to do it. And I have to say I, I enjoyed um, that bit of television as much as any television I've worked on the last twenty years, <laughs> my team beats what goes the, around, comes my around team you. beats the biggest, the biggest rival seven. Yeah. So it was a great, it was, it was a great day for me all around. You got any fears about being? I stop you no. About no, no, you have. Everyone's got fears. 
No. Um, your fear is actually paying for a dinner or buying a round mm. or something of that nature. Do you do you fear being cancelled? Because I tell you why. I, t I tell you why. I tell you why I ask that, right? Because do you? No, I don't. I couldn't care less because I don't define <laughs> my career by other people's points of views, and media isn't my career. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're going to go hard, if you're going to go, go hard or go home, right? Um, but I was very surprised with you. I tell you why I asked the question. It's twofold. Right? The first part is when you made those observations and you talked about it being a man's game, when you had Karen Carney sat next to you and there was a furore about you saying, we've got our game back. It's a man's game being played by men. Blah, 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 blah. And I went on and, and, and there was an uproar about it and mm. there was this big on load of pylons that came on about what you were and what you weren't and, and how you should be this and how you should be that. And I went after it straight away on radio because we were on a Monday and I was outraged by it because I wasn't prepared it to be leveraged into something that it wasn't. Yet you, you gave a snivelling explanation justifying your comments for something that was clearly evident to be not said from a position but, of disadvantaging anybody. 104 years of age, why are you worried I'm about not, being cancelled? I'm, I'm not worried in the slightest. I was, first of all, I was referring to that because both games have been really good. And the referee... I know what you were doing. The referees have, have changed somewhat since then in terms of letting the game and flow. And the physicality of and the game was flowing. Two games, and those right? two games, the referee let some challenges go on. And it was men... Challenging men. Yeah. And I was talking about the two games. I know, of football. I know what you're doing. Of course, that's football. not the question I'm asking you. But you of all people, you of all people that thinks everybody else is a pudding and has very strong views and has very mm. definite out outlooks and will live and die by his own opinions and has had a career where he didn't pull off or, or necessarily pull back from anything. Right? Why so, would you feel the necessity at this stage in your life? Because I bloody well wouldn't, to turn around and say, Well, I didn't mean what I said. You've taken it the wrong way. I don't so, understand that. Why would you do that? Why would you feel the need to do it? See, but you're you're again suggesting that I've apologised. I was I was pointing well, out. It's an explanation. I was talking about those two games, and I thought, I thought that is something. Well, it is, that, isn't it? You, 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 you Graham, I don't see that. Graham, as a, I had nothing to apologise. Graham, Graham for. we both know that I went out on the front foot for you. A lot of people don't do those sort of things. Not that you asked me to, by the way, and said, oh, this is absolutely preposterous. Who do these people mm. think they are? Trying to categorise it and recharacterise it in a certain way, and you were told by Sky to put something out. And I don't understand why you'd have done it because it tells me that you're yep. worried about being cancelled. So that tells me. No, I'm not worried about being cancelled. Let me tell you. Let me tell you where I am. I am privileged. I've been so privileged. I started at 15, and I finished my career at 30. Let's say 33, 34. I played my last game at 35. I played with great players at Liverpool at 32, 33. When they finished, that was it for them. So I rolled into management yep. and then I rolled into the football work. Yep. So it means from the age of 15 to 70, you know, I've, I've been employed by football. Variety so like, people, yeah. How blessed am I? And I'm not, and I'm not going to change now, am I? I'm not, I'm not going to. No, well, I don't why, think so. That's why, why I'm making I the point because I was surprised. You know, I'm not going to be too concerned if someone takes exception and, and cancels me because I've, I've used a term that for the last 50 odd years in my adult life, I've been using about, I've used in, in, in the football sense. Does it annoy you when people refer to you as a dinosaur? Um, Do you go, hang on a second, I've forgotten more than you'll ever know? I tell you what, I tell you what makes me happy more than anything. When in punditry, I, I, I speak to few people. I basically don't like too many people. <laughs> but I, I, um, I get messages passed on to me by serious football people saying how much they enjoy my work. And I still get it today. So that's what matters to me. It's not about what, you know... I don't know. It's like when you're a player, you're only interested in what your manager and coaches think of you, not listen to anyone else. But do you do you find it difficult 
to manoeuvre yourself through the current regime of what terminology is acceptable, which is outdated and which is offensive? Do you find yourself having to check and think and pause and pause for thoughts? Uh, um, it's not difficult. Or do you not even think about it? No, it's no, not difficult. Either. It's not difficult because I'm not concerned about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. As, as I said, I'm prepared to take the consequences. I know I'm not going to say anything outrageous. I might use a, you know, a word in the wrong place. Yeah. And if that happens, that happens. And, 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 I'll take it. Because I'm like that when I'm when I'm doing the, the radio show. I'm well aware that I'm walking a tightrope because I want... That's live. It's Anything like, live. I think so. If you're going to go hard, if you're going to go do something, I think you go hard or you go home, as I said earlier. Mm. And I'm well aware that I'm walking a tightrope. One day I may fall off that tightrope and strangle myself with it. But I think if you're going to do the media, if you're going to do something and you've got something to say, you've got some substance and you can stand it up. And my but, my attitude towards life, and even with the, yeah, the debates not, with you, is stand it up soon. I'm not... Stand I'm up not, your point of view. Let's debate it. I'm not smoke up your... But, but, the world of football listens to you on your shows. Every now and again, yeah. You, you should take great credit for that. Not that I'm giving you any. Would you say, I, 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 I don't know if it's right, but that you were a genius of a player in your position? A genius? As a, in the position that you occupied, which was a certain role, you were you know, a midfield player that you were. I would never, I'd never use that All right, we'll just say, word to describe myself. Right. I, I, were I, you at the top of your game? I am, um, yeah. In your field? Oh, yeah. Do you think, I think the stats that you that took out. that top of your game from a player to being a manager? I don't think... Because argument would say... Having, I don't having think had, one goes hand in hand, by the way. Well, I, don't know, I categorically don't think they do. No. Well, right, you look at Wenger, you look at well, Fergie. Yeah, categorically it's not... Mourinho. And you look at the generation of young players that are coming through now, young managers that are supposed that were top players like Lampard and Gerrard that aren't capable... Or as capable as one would have assumed they would be because once upon a time they're still a playing careers. But you came from being this very strong leader, cut from a very different cloth of what I think the modern day football looks like. Even the Gerrards and the Lampards of the world, I think, would find themselves a shrinking violence in a shrinking violets in comparison to you. And you came from this stellar career that a lot of these guys have had whiffs of, but yours was stellar in terms of what you achieved at Liverpool and where your career went. But then you land as a player manager at Rangers and you go into Liverpool and you produce the second worst record of a Liverpool manager in 30 years. Yeah. And if you go through the manager in 30 years. Well, can I first start off by saying when I went to Rangers, I got I got stroke of luck. I managed to land Terry Butcher. And then I had Richard Goff and I had Ray Wilkins. And that's why I always talk about having good senior pros. I had the best. So... I think that what was you, my stroke what, a lot. What do you now? We get to Liverpool. To now Liverpool. we come to Liverpool. Yeah. I took on a job at Liverpool um, a couple of years after Hillsborough. It was a disaster, which the world knew about. Mm. But unless you're actually in the city, you didn't get that the feeling of how how desperate it was, and the injustice that the supporters correctly so felt. So when me taking that job a couple of years afterwards, you know, I was walking into it wasn't something I was I'd prepared for. And I think that stayed with the club long after I left the football club. I think it was a, you know, because the way justice treated yeah. them. They if you'd have read the room, you wouldn't have done a sandwich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they didn't. There was a feeling that, you know, we've been treated so badly here by the authorities. Mm. And, and and that lasted for, for, I would suggest, a couple of decades. And even still going on. I think in some people's eyes. Some yeah. of the relatives yeah. still feel they haven't. 
Well, of course, and then if you exacerbate it with current circumstances when you've got European Champions League finals and Liverpool fans being treated in a certain way, I mean, it's always going to be that the, situation. How could it happen to yeah, them of all absolutely. the clubs? But I, I, my thinking, all my thinking, 99% of my thinking about football management and how you deal with players would have come from my time as a player at Liverpool, which was the, the mecca. It was the, it was the Cambridge-Oxford University, if you could access the training ground. That is where every disciple who of football wanted to go and, and worship at the feet of Paisley prior to that Shankly. So you say this the worst record in 30 years. If you go back to Shankly took over the club, then Paisley took over the club, then Joe Fagan took over the club, then Kenny took over the club. And I walk into a, I walk into a football club that was on its feet. I hadn't had success for a couple of years. Out on its feet, yeah. I hadn't had success for a couple of years. Um, I had a group of players that were getting older together and under normal circumstances at Liverpool would have been moved on long before they got to the ages that they got to. And I'm, I'm Does it irritate me, you that I've asked you this question? Because you're spending slightly, a lot of time no. explaining what other people have done rather no, than no, telling no, me about well, what you've I'm, done. I'm, I'm painting the picture. I walked into the dressing room. I was the first one. I was the first one since Paisley walked through the door where all of a sudden I'm buying players under pressure. The, 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 great, the great teams of Liverpool were always bought on them being top at the time or near enough top and they were buying players like Ray Kennedy, mm -hmm. double winner at Arsenal, yep. Terry McDermott, bought him from Newcastle, I think it was 180 grand. They didn't go in the team straight away. Kenny and I were the first ones to come into the club and go straight into the team at that period. So they were buying players. They were having a look. They were playing. They were being taught to play the Liverpool way and slowly but surely introduced. For me, that that is a luxury I didn't have. I was buying players under pressure, so they had to go straight in. I had three players come to me, big players come to me and say, um, I've, I've got a chance to go so-and-so, I'd like to go. That, at that moment, I made a major mistake. But I, I, I had the hump with them at that time because I'm thinking, Liverpool, why would you want to be anywhere else other than Liverpool? Mm. And I fell out with them. Rather than me say, what I should have said was, I hear you, when I've got time for a replacement, when I can find one, yep. I'll allow you to go. But my attitude, because this is Liverpool, you can go tomorrow, son. You know, Three I can, players. I can relate to that. Do you look back on it with regret? Do you look back on the time at Liverpool because smart ass like me can pull that stat out? No, no, no. I, 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 know, I, listen, I was privileged to have that job. I, th I shouldn't have taken it at that time. That, I was always destined for that job, I felt, but I shouldn't have taken it at that time, at a time when the club when you look were back having at, the most difficult period. Is that the most difficult period in the club's history? Again, I suppose it's, I, I don't like to focus on the negative, but it's got some intrigue in it. When you look back over your management career, besides obviously not coming to work for me, what's your biggest regret? No, the biggest regret is my time at Liverpool. That is it. Getting is it? Them, doing an article in the Sun newspaper when we got to the final of the FA Cup. Went to extra time penalties. They took a picture of me and my girlfriend at the time, who's now been my wife for the best part of 30 years. Um, missed the deadline on a Monday night because of the extra time and penalties. Didn't go in on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday it went and that was the anniversary of Hillsborough. That mm. killed me in the eyes. Yeah. It still has. Yeah. And I have to accept that with with them, a lot of the support at Liverpool because I was quite a popular player there. Anyway, Graham, I've, I've really enjoyed today seeing you and speaking to you. And the last question I've got for you, away from football, what are you most passionate about? What drives you the most? I mean, you can say family, but obviously yeah. that's a stock answer. Family. Um, I mean, I was at something with you very recently, so I don't know whether that's 
part of the equation? Yeah, I'm, you want I'm, to talk I'm about that? heavily involved in a charity now. I mean, I was up there with you on a weekend and I didn't particularly, as I said to you, I said to you on a stage, I'm surrounded by jocks all week. I really don't want to spend my Sunday <laughs> afternoon, evening with a bunch of 300 jocks. But when you sent me the details of this Deborah charity, it, as I said to you and I said to the audience, it took my breath away hmm. because it is one of those and it's a... It's, it's a it's a it's a disease that, that not many I wasn't aware of it until five years ago. Mm. And it's the most evil and cruelest of all diseases. And it just robs these young people of any quality yeah. of life. And like and you said, what, if, there's, if there, you've become an atheist as a result of it, because yeah, and if there's a God up there, you can't quite imagine life, what he's doing. It's life, yeah. it's life limiting, these pure children. And it's not just the, the sufferers, but also the the families have to deal with it, and that's traumatic to say the least. And um, it has, it's changed me as a human being. I am now an atheist because mm. I cannot believe there's a there's an almighty that would allow this to happen to one person. Graham, give us give us a little bit more on the charity Deborah. Well, Deborah, it's 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 to help children. You're you're born with this disease. It's epidermolosis bullosa, mm -hmm. and basically, you, you, you in the worst cases, butterfly skin. Yes. Yeah. In the yeah. worst cases. Um, and I've shown you some pictures yep. on my phone. Yeah. Well, I want a little, you know, my little girl. She's not my little girl, but I've become very close Isla. to her. Isla. And it's like someone's taking a blowtorch yep. to their skin. You know, it's continually raw. And it's in their mouth as well, isn't it? And it, and it involves in, like, in, inside tracks as well. So, you know, there's not a moment of the day that she's not in pain. Do you remember when you maybe burnt your finger with a bit of, the end of your finger with a little bit of hot water and you... Magnify it a thousand just, times. Oh, do you think it's yeah. the sorest thing could possibly Imagine your whole body being covered in that. And it's but it's red raw. Yeah. They lose their no, skin. You know, if, if Isla was standing here, she's gonna fall over, I'd let her fall. Because if I was to grab her, I'd just It's the lesser two evils. All yeah. all her skin would come off. And and these kids have to take the strongest of drugs to to get through their lives, like ketamine. Ketamine, ketamine yeah. diamorphine. And and it's just the most painful, cruelest, worst thing I think you could experience yeah, as a I human showed, being. You sent me the pictures, and obviously I said to you, and I said it again earlier on in this, it took my breath away, but I showed it to Rod Stewart, terrible name drop, but I showed it to Rod Stewart. And he, and he was, I said, look, I've got to show you this because I'm going up to a charity with Sooness. And he said, show it to me. And I said, I don't know, Rod, you're just about to have mm. some dinner at this charity function with you now. He said, show it to me. And so I said, okay, here you go. And he went, Okay, whatever you need, and you know that Rod yeah, gave some tickets and, and donated and fair some, play to Rod for doing some tickets for the event. But, and um, fair play to you because without the other night up in Glasgow, we wouldn't have raised the kind of money we did. No, so thank well, you. And you know, I want to be involved going forward. So well done. It's been a pleasure. No, I've, really I've enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed this it. No, it's yeah. been good. Thanks been for coming good. on the pod and, and being so and up front have, with me. I have to say that that um, you do hide the the compassionate side very well. Do I? That deep down, I think you might be an all right guy. I think you know I am. <laughs> no, it's been great. You it's too. been great. Cheers, pal. Cheers. Up Front with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.